Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Bible. Inspiration from Zion is the program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program, where we're also going to share some exciting offers. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. So today's guest is a longtime friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Cohen. And I was trying to think how and where and in what context we actually initially met. And I I don't remember. It's been a while. Um, but what 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 really triggered this conversation, while we haven't seen each other in person in a while, uh, Mike has been recently posting some things and sharing some memories and video clips, and maybe with his permission, we'll include those in the show notes here uh, for this episode as well, specifically at this season. And what's interesting, when he shares these, he's saying, I typically don't share things like this, but... This is an important season, and we're going to speak about why. Let me give you a little bit more background, and then we're going to get into the conversation and why we're having this conversation right now. Dr. Mike Cohen is a 40-year veteran reserve officer in an IDF Special Forces counterterrorism unit, and he's well into his fifth decade of negotiating the Christian world, in other words, building bridges between Jews and Christians and educating Christians as a devoted Torah-observant Jew. A student and a teacher, Mike has edited several books on peace and security, both in English and Hebrew, and is currently completing a children's book that tells his mother's miraculous story as a small child in war-torn Europe during the Holocaust. You can read more about Mike and connect with him at mcohen.us. And if anyone wants to reach out and didn't catch that, always feel free to be in touch with me. One thing I like about Mike is he's not really looking for self-accolades, and that's why we've got such a relatively short bio. Um, but I'll tell you this, um, as much as his bio, official bio is short, he's very, very deep on substance. As I said, we've been friends and colleagues for a very long time, and he's He's in this space in a way that I really admire and am grateful for. And the season that we're in right now, um, now having just completed uh, a, kind of like a three-day um, series of commemorations and celebrations, uh, last week was Yom HaShoah, uh, the Holocaust and Memorial Day. This week, we, we observed Memorial Day for Israel's uh, soldiers and terror victims who have been killed since before the founding of the state. And that immediately is followed by Independence Day, not immediately followed like a day or two after, but immediate. And we're going to speak about that today because I believe Israel is the only country in the world where Memorial Day is immediately followed by 
Independence Day and the significance of those. So I want to just jump into the conversation. Mike, I've been, been wanting to do this with you for a while. I'm grateful. We're going to talk about at the end about the What Israel Means to Me art contest of which you're a part as a judge. But first of all, I want to welcome you to Inspiration from Zion and say how glad I am to have you here with us today. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> I love that. Um, Mike, like you, like me, you and I were both born in the U.S. Um, we both immigrated to Israel. You're here a lot longer and you have had the privilege, uh, along with the challenges, of having a military career here, which I came to Israel too late to serve. Um, tell us about you and your family background. Um, how the, we, we are, We've already given away the fact that your mother is a Holocaust survivor. And so that means she wasn't born in the U.S., but you were. And and then how'd you end up here in Israel? Uh, I think we came on El Al or Air Canada. I'm not 100%. <laughs> okay. Uh, my dad's family emigrated to the United States in 1882. Um, and there's a quite fascinating little book written by my great-grandfather, uh, describing the beginning of the uh, Zionist Jewish community in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, and the contrast with the German Jews who were already living there, mm. and the issues that they had, and the reasons that they did it, and how uh, a small community of Jews comes together to create a Jewish community. And it's actually quite telling because Historically, it's probably the story of, of most towns uh, that have uh, a significant Jewish community, whether it's in Europe or in the United States or anywhere else in the world. Um, my mother's, my grandmother was born in the United, both my grandparents from my father's side were born in the United States. My dad was born in Brooklyn. If you consider that the United States, then that's in the United States. Uh, my sister and I were both born in Brooklyn, like most good Jews. And um, uh, my dad was not the uh, studious type. Uh, his rabbis said to him, um, you're not going to be a rabbi. And in the 1950s, late 1950s, early 1960s, uh, people were rushing to join uh, parochial schools, whether Jewish or Christian or Catholic or any other, uh, anything but go to Vietnam or Korea. Ah, yeah. Uh, and if you went to a parochial school, you didn't have to go to the army. So many people were do- taking that route. And uh, my dad was told, you're not taking that route. You're going to go serve in the U.S. Army uh, with all of the challenges for a Torah observant Jew in the U.S. Army or in any army, uh, which was not not simple or easy. That's a whole story in its own right. Um, And when he came back, they trained him to teach Zionism, teach, be a Zionist educator. Who trained him? The army or the the community? No, 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 no. Yeshiva University. The Uh The uh, leadership of uh, uh, a gentleman, I don't know if you've mentioned him before, by Rabbi uh, Joseph Soloveitchik and somebody, uh, one of his rabbis, Rabbi Avram Besdin. Um, both of them 
uh, believed firmly that the closer we could keep the Jewish community to Israel, and at the time that wasn't a given. For sure not. Uh, many Jews, uh, uh, just as today, uh, significantly objected to the idea. Um, and he was, uh, they believed that if we could keep the Jewish community closer to Israel, eventually we could also bring the Jewish community back to their uh, Torah observances and, and historic Jewish observances as well. And uh, believe it or not, they were right. Yeah, I was just going to say that was uh, that was visionary at the time. Yeah. So that's how uh, that's how we ended up uh, traveling around um, all kinds of places, talking about Israel, dragging me and my sister along as, as little babies, as little kids. And uh, at one point uh, in 1973, he said, uh, I've won. Uh, the community is now uh, pro-Israel. The Jewish community in its majority is now focused, Israel focused. So now I have to put my, uh, uh, excuse the phrase, I have to put my tushy where my mouth is and I have to uh, go to Israel. Well, it's fascinating on two levels. First of all, many of the rabbinic leadership of Yeshiva University didn't and haven't come to Israel like your father did. And when oftentimes, many times when they do, it's... uh, it's after a career, a, a long career, and they come here retiring. But the other interesting piece is, and this is maybe even important and deeper conversation for another time, is that Christians listening to this today, whose connection with Israel is only in the last 75 and 50 years since these, the miraculous founding of the state and, and, and uh, the, the Six-Day War um, has strengthened all of that orientation. First of all, many Christians, I don't think, will understand that not all Jews were oriented to the state of Israel, uh, even after it was founded. And second of all, many Christians can't conceive of a, a time or a period or a theology that all Christians wouldn't be supportive of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. Oh, I agree completely. But in the Christian community as well, there's a uh, significant um, uh, change uh that has worsened in the last few years as well yes. um uh, a few years ago i was at a conference um and a gentleman by the name of um i'll come up with his name soon okay. uh he he actually gave a, a long lecture on the fact that even the evangelical community even the uh the uh uh, the community that has been over the course of the past few decades very supportive of Israel, um, uh, far more supportive than many in the Jewish community, uh, is now split 50-50. Yes. Uh, right. as, as certain types of theologies uh, that have nothing to do with uh, Judaism, Christianity, Bible, uh, take hold within certain communities, yeah. Um, uh, the uh, uh, the effects that affect the larger American community, the larger Christian community, the larger American community also begin to affect uh, the leadership and the teachings of 100%. many people who uh, uh, otherwise would follow biblical dictates. Correct. 
Okay, thank you for that. Let's come back to 1973. Before you actually talk about your father saying, Yala, let's come, let's go to Israel. Your your father at some point before 1973 married your mother, who was a survivor, and you, you're, right? Yes, oh, I hope so. I wasn't there, but yeah. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> so you've heard. Um, before we talk about her speci- life specifically, because I want to get into the video that you shared about you speaking uh, on Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day, and your personal family connection, was your mother, did your mother also come from a Zionist home? Or or is it just by virtue of being married to your father that 1973 came about and they got on a plane together with the two of you? No, no, my both my parents come from, my, my father's family comes from a, um, a more, uh, the word in Hebrew is haskala, more of a uh, perspective, uh, modern, modern orientation, uh, Zionist orientation, and yeah. um, his aunt would publish articles in the early 1900s in uh, in in, in uh, newspapers, and she went to the Zionist Congress. So my father's family was involved in Zionism from the time that the word was invented. In the, in the 1880s. Amazing. My mother's family, surprisingly enough, is split. Half were completely assimilated Jews in Budapest, and the other half were hardcore uh, Hasidic um, Ultra-Orthodox. hardliners yeah. uh, from a town called Munkach. Ah, sure. In those days, uh, many of the Hasidic leaders or many of the followers uh, ad, 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 uh, adopted an idea, a concept that Israel is important uh, for religious perspective. Nobody knew what the state would look like or if there would be, ever be a state. But movement to Israel and the concepts of Israel were all started by rabbinic leaders. Yeah. Uh, the whole movement was started by rabbinic leaders. And so they, even though they prescribed to a very stringent Hungarian type of uh, Judaism, yeah. It included a quest to return to Israel. And in the uh in the uh the book that was published about my mom's story, there is a scene talking about the special prayer that that um very hardcore uh uh Jewish grandmother would add the prayer of return to her lighting of the candles every Friday night. That's a very big deal. I never heard that before. That's Neither a did very I. it's a very big deal. Um, that is not something that that is what was common there in that kind of a community. Yeah. So when they arrived in the United States, it was it was automatically uh, connecting to uh, some sort of uh, Torah related, Bible related and Zionist related uh, community. So in 1973, when it was time, your father said, I succeeded. You, he, he didn't have to drag your mother along. No, no, he had been here. They had been here before. They This was their third. This was their third attempt. Okay. Ah, wow. Okay. They came as as a young uh, as singles, then they came as a young couple, and then and uh, they kept getting sent back to, as you said, uh, many leaders in in the religious Zionist community didn't arrive here until later because it was necessary for them to be there. Yeah, it, I see. It, it, I I am much more valuable to the Jewish people in certain ways in the United States, Canada, than I am here, because here I'm one of 10 million. 
in uh, in the United States and Canada, I'm I'm an individual single person who has significant impact, whether I have a leadership position or not. Hundred percent, excellent. And, and you know what? That's a great point and something I want to just jump off on. But first, I want to just take a break uh, and and then come back and pick up on that. So hold on, we're going to come right back. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay. So Mike, that was a fascinating point about, about your parents going back and uh, trying it out being back. But arguably, once you have children, albeit that you and your sister were relatively young when you came here in 73, um, it's harder. You're now dealing with the absorption, not just of a young couple or singles, but you're responsible for a family. I know I felt that. And I had five kids when we moved here um, 19 years ago. But, you- oh, but when uh, I'll, I'll tell you this, we arrived two weeks before the Yom Kippur War. And when the sirens went off and the scramble for the uh, bomb shelter and, and all of that happened, it's a whole saga story in its own right. Um, How old are you? My grandmother wrote, wrote uh, at least send the kids back. Ah, oh, wow. And my father said, if we don't stick it out this time, we're not going to stick it out. Oh, wow. 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 That's, that's really foreshadowing for your own, for your own life. And, and in many ways you haven't said it, but, but your father, obviously both in, in terms of his military service and being a Zionist and, and that very, very simple statement um, embodies so much of, of who you are. Oh yeah. <laughs> Last week I spoke at their, um, they live in an assisted living facility today. And uh, when I spoke there uh, last week for uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, 
uh, people afterwards came over to him and said, wow, he's a carbon copy of you. There you go. Which was good and bad, of course. <laughs> well, we'll talk about the good today. And then you and I can get together and talk about the quirky things. Um, so so let, let's jump into that. We, we, we've alluded to your mother being a, a Holocaust survivor from, from Hungary. Um, I had, you know, I want to reiterate this. I will share a secret that, at the risk of exposing myself. When people send me links to videos and articles all the time, uh, everyone's busy. I don't, I don't always read or follow or watch. And often, I don't want to say how often, I'll write back, thanks for sharing, after a reasonable period of time that someone might intuitively think that I actually followed what they sent. Um, you sent something last week that was this video and prefaced it the way you did. And the way you prefaced it, it was very modest. Um, and, and I, and I remember the precise language, but basically you said, I don't always share things, but, but I do so twice a year. And this one is important. And you shared a video of you speaking at a Christian conference in North Carolina a few years ago and you and and you spoke about not just Holocaust Remembrance Day which we were observed last week but your mother's personal history would you share a little bit of that um yeah sure uh my mom was uh, the war came very late to Budapest um the Hungarians were very uh uh, willing and, and, uh, um, not aggressive, uh, willing and, um, uh, happy participants in the, uh, in, in the destruction of, uh, European Jewry. So the Nazis didn't feel the need to go there and take care of business for themselves. The Hungarians said, we'll take care of our Jews. And, um, in a sense, that was a, a positive because they didn't really kill them that much. They, they more, Used them for work, uh, for labor, uh, put them in, uh, in, in particular areas called ghettos, but they, they didn't, they didn't the mass massacre them. So the vast majority of Hungarian Jewry, uh, going into 1944 was still intact. Uh, there are different numbers, 500,000 to 800,000, uh, Jews existed in, uh, in, in, uh, in Budapest, in the main city in that, in that, in that period of time. Um, as the Russians began to close in, uh, the Hungarians began to uh, waver in their commitment to the Nazi ideal. And Hitler said, I have to send my own representative down there uh, to take care of business. They're not killing them fast enough. So uh, he sent down a gentleman, I use that term uh, very recently, yeah. by the name of uh, uh, Adolf Eichmann. Uh, thankfully, Eichmann found his uh, his end. Um uh, as ashes in the Mediterranean. Um, but, uh, um, uh, he was all of a lieutenant colonel, same rank I hold, same rank. Many, many, many hundreds of thousands of people have held. It's not a very high rank, but he was given a tremendous amount of power. And within, uh, eight months, he was able to, uh, eliminate and murder, uh, close to half of, uh, Hungarian jury. Um, my mom comes into the story, uh, therefore, to the whole story of World War II, as the war is already coming to an end. But in Budapest and Hungary, it's only beginning. Yes. Uh, 
my mom was given by my grandfather a doll before he was taken away to the Hungarian uh, war camps and then turned over, of course, to the Nazis. But uh, she, he gave her a doll. In those days, kids didn't have very many toys and uh, they definitely didn't have friends. Uh, all, everybody listening has been through the period of Corona. So we all know what uh, um, separation is and being told that you can't uh, socialize, can't go to school and all of these different things. Uh, the feeling we had or the feeling that existed times a million because nobody's shooting at you or, uh, right. or threatening to come and kill you or, or walking into your house and arresting you and, and, and murdering you. Uh, but that, uh, that same existence of, of you can't be with your friends existed then. As she puts it, to her, that was completely normal. That's what life was like. And he gave her a doll to be her friend. And this doll became part and parcel of the family. And uh, um, at some point, as the uh, Hungarians became more active in the murder, um, certain international uh, figures began to try to save as many people as they could. Right. And having had a head start um, because they knew what had happened already in Poland and other places. Right. They also were able to plan a little bit. There are many, many, many stories of people who were able to plan ahead, uh, create an escape path. Uh, my mother was saved by a wonderful Christian man by the name of Karl Lutz, who worked together with a religious Zionist leader from the Mizrahi movement uh, called by, by the name of uh, Miklos Kraus. And uh, the two of them uh, are not known because of their political uh affiliations because of who they were as individuals and uh there's a lot of it, international politics and intrigue that goes into the fact that we don't know their sure. names um she was in this uh, s- supposedly red cross uh protected uh, uh kindergarten and one day my grandmother came and gave her a few tiny pieces of chocolate and the uh, the nurses there tried to take away the nuns tried to take away her uh, chocolate. There was a struggle. She's a four and a half year old girl. She had a temper tantrum like uh, all kids of that age can yeah. have. Yeah. She took her doll. She took her blanket. She went out into the dark, dangerous ghetto night. And uh, when they found her the next day and they brought her back, uh, all of the other children had been lined up at the Danube and shot and thrown into the water like uh, like yesterday's beef. Yeah. Um, so my mother was basically saved because she had a temper tantrum. That was one of many occurrences. I refuse to call them miracles. I refuse to call these things uh, personal intervention because why was my mom any more important than anybody else that was in that school? Well, we why that's that's very philosophical. It has, it has a tremendous amount of, I know, uh, but when I speak about it and people say, well, this miracle happened to me and this miracle happened to me, I, I, I don't judge God's um, intentions. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know what the occurrences were for. I don't know why they happened. I don't know why this person, yes, sure. and this person, no, I can't get into those judgments. So I can't call them miracles. Okay. Uh, but I can, uh, I can refer to them as 
the amazing things that happened to my mom along the way uh, that allowed me to be able to raise a, gener- a new generation of Jews here in Israel. Uh, and my sister already has a second Indeed. generation. Indeed. Uh, my, my, my little sister is already a grandmother of, uh, of a multitude. Amazing. Um, and, and we have the right and the, and, and the obligation to make this, uh, this place work. So, so first of all, you, did you remember, remind me if I'm not mistaken, you, you alluded to a book. Is this book available for people to buy? To read? The, the Hebrew book is available to buy. I did not publish the Hebrew book. It was published by a wonderful organization that is documenting the spiritual side of what happened uh, during World War II. Uh, and uh, I am working, I am finished practically uh, uh, in the next few days, I hope, to be able to have a uh, uh, a book available online. Some of it will be, it'll be uh, uh, print on demand so that we don't waste money on, on, on yeah. killing trees. If somebody wants the book online, they could get it online. They want it on their tablet, they could have it on their tablet. Uh, there's a church working on a uh, on a screen pl- uh, a play to actually uh, to to um, bring the story to life uh, and take it uh, take it on the road because it has tremendous spiritual uh, aspects to it and and it's a story of uh, of a very strong family with very strong faith okay. and and uh, um, uh, very very strong women. So I'll look forward when you can share that information. I will look forward to sharing with our listeners. Now, I'm go- but I'm going to share with you, okay, the link to the video that you sent to me that kind of triggered this conversation. Now, there were a number of things about that. You're t- right now. You're speaking in a sense very academically. Um, however, that yeah, I had shared with you that. I didn't really watch the video. I listened to it because I was driving. And at the outset, I thought that maybe I was having trouble with the reception where I was because there was a pause of maybe it was only 30 seconds, a minute maximum, but where you began to speak and then it stopped. And I only realized well into that pause, it felt felt like a much longer time than I'm sure it was, that you had become re- really overcome with emotion. Um, it's personal, isn't it? First of all, it's very personal, but it was not about me. The, uh, that, that emotional, um, um, I, I don't do that. Uh, and it was interesting because it was an academic setting. Ah. Uh, later in the day, it wasn't an academic setting and I wasn't so emotional. They, one of the students there had created a wonderful film about uh, this amazing Christian gentleman by the name of Carl Lutz and his wife, Trudy. And it was the first time I had uh, seen it. I was only exposed to this story about a decade ago. I lived my first 50 years without knowing any of this. Um, And uh, this student did such a good job in uh, portraying the... Um, the biblical heroism of this man and the, 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 the deep faith that led him to break all of the rules uh, to, to save people. In other words, he broke 
his uh, state rules. I think he uh, lived up to his uh, biblical and, and, and godly rules. Uh, he chose those over those. Uh, and it was, it was a serious portrayal, and that, that's what drew out the emotion uh, from me. It was, it was less about my mom's story. And it was less about me, but more about this individual and his wife and how they uh, um, uh, followed their faith uh, in a way that was uh, um, uh, remarkable. I, the only person I could compare them to is Nachshon ben Aminadav, the, uh, the person who decided to jump into the water and begin on complete faith, uh, walk through uh, the, uh, the Red Sea uh before it split yeah and, uh, and only when he showed that kind of faith did god actually split the the water that's not in the bible itself that's in our uh commentaries that come later right but what's different about that on a biblical basis is that at any point he could have turned around Harlan, no, he would have drowned. He, well he could have he could have walked back oh he couldn't you could, couldn't have okay back. there's no way back no way back. Okay, so fine. So good analogy. Good analogy then. Uh, interestingly enough, I want to take another break, but interestingly enough, last week on the eve of Yom HaShoah, I took a dear new friend of mine, an Iranian woman who became a Christian in Iran uh, to Yad Vashem for the very first time. His name, of course, is mentioned not just in the among the righteous Gentiles, but in the, in the museum, in the exhibit itself, if I'm not mistaken, but she is a Christian and experiencing this for the very first time, couldn't understand how and why there were not only more Christian, there weren't more Christians who, who stood up to defend, to save, to protect uh, Jews during the Holocaust, but that there were people who called themselves Christian who were the orchestrators and implementers of the Holocaust. And that's also for a, for a much deeper conversation. But the point being is, and I'd love to see the video that you're speaking about, it was a rarity to have people, certainly even Christians, whose faith should have dictated that this is a, a biblical obligation, not, uh, not something to run from. Um, so I understand it makes sense your emotion over that. Yeah, no question about it. Got it. Uh, Mike, I feel like this, we're che- kind of cheating the conversation because we could go on for an hour about any of these topics, but I want to interweave with what, what the occurrences this week. And I want to take another real quick break and then come back and speak about your personal connections to what we're observing and what, we're, what we are observed and celebrated here this week. But let's come right back. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful 
and helps us to bless the soldiers, you can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, so Mike, uh, 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 the personal nature um, of you, you're, you're what they call a second generation survivor. Um, your mother is a survivor and, and, and I'm sure that's impacted her life and you in innumerable ways. But you also came here very young. And like we said before, you had the privilege, not just of serving in the army, but in, but in a very elite counterterrorism unit. Um, I don't remember when you said you stopped doing your reserve duty, but you also share something this week that's also deeply personal regarding your military service and Memorial Day. You want to talk about that a little bit? Not really, but I not will. really. Um, and I, it's not something I talk about very often. Um, Uh, let, let's take it back a week. Okay. Um, the, according to um, the words given to Moses, uh, the first day of Nisan is New Year's. It's not uh, in January and it's not in Tishrei when we celebrate uh, New Year's. Right. And for those who don't know, Nisan and Tishrei are two of the biblical months. Yes. So the first holiday of the first month is Passover. That's where the Jews begin to exist as a nation. Until then, we're a family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, few daughters. And we become a nation uh, coming out of Egypt, receiving the Torah, etc. That is where the story begins. Okay. The story, the, my mom's philosophy of Jewish life is uh, they fight with us, we win, we eat. They fight with us, we lose, we fast. Wow. The whole calendar goes that way. Um, you start the story of Jewish redemption, you start the story of Jewish life, you start the story of of being part of the land of Israel um, when we come out of Egypt as a nation, and that's the first holiday. That holiday then is followed by a much more modern occurrence of massacre. Uh, it is followed then by a day of commemoration with the uh, men and women who sacrificed everything in order for us to be able to live here is followed by an Israeli independence day, which is a very modern uh, event that only happened 75 years ago is then followed by the return to Jerusalem, which was only 19 years ago. Right. Then followed by the receipt of the, uh, of the Torah at Sinai 
on uh, on on Shavuot on uh, Pentecost, the Pentecost, and uh, and then after the hot summer, we begin to talk about us as individuals on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then we come to uh, uh, Tabernacles, we come to Sukkot, where we're actually now together as a nation, as individuals, able to pray for the entire world. I love we, that. 70, uh, 70 uh, bullocks uh, to, uh, to pray for the 70 uh, nations of the world. And then we have a short one-day holiday at the end where God says, hey, before you leave, let's just spend one more day just the family. And then that's the cycle. That's the cycle of Jewish existence. We have a few, two other modern holidays that come after that. Hanukkah, where we celebrate the Maccabees victory and the rededication of the temple. Purim, where we vi- celebrate a uh, another uh, victory that took place in Persia, um, and the, the the cycle of the Jewish calendar is in of itself a breathing entity. It it exists as an entity. What makes us different from other nations, as that uh, as that is concerned, is the fact that we put them all together in a cycle. Uh, there's a never-ending cycle, but the cycle begins in, in, with Passover. The beginning it, it starts with Passover, not with Yom Hashoah, not with Yom Hazikaron, not with but, the Memorial Day for the Holocaust, not with the Memorial Day for the soldiers. By chronicling that, you're suggesting that it's deliberate the pattern, but it, it can't be deliberate now, can it? Because I you can, have biblical. Well, okay, I so can. I wanted to discuss that. So let's let's go into that. In the actual DNA, and I don't know why this is not taught more public, more, about 1,100 years ago, uh, a gentleman who was studying uh, the, the, the depths of uh, a biblical knowledge, uh, reading between the lines and between the letters, discovered a very interesting pattern. Uh, for those listeners who are driving, do not do what I ask you to do right now. For those who are not driving... <laughs> please take a piece of paper and write down the first few letters of these Hebrew alphabet. You could also write down numbers if you don't know the alphabet itself. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, or one, two, three, four, five, uh, six, seven, eight. And now you take the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet and you put them Opposite the first letters, the aleph becomes a taf, the bet becomes a shin, the gimel becomes a resh. And what this man discovers is a code, a biblical code, a code of DNA of the Jewish holidays and Jewish existence. He discovers that the first day, aleph, of tabernacle corresponds to the same day of Tisha B'Av, which came much later, the day when we fast in memory of the two temples. Right. He, he discovers that the Bet, the second day, corresponds to the Shin of Shavuot, of the receipt of receipt of the of the of the Torah at Sinai. Right. Resh corresponds to uh, Resh. The Gimel corresponds to Resh, Rosh Hashanah that the specific days of the week that these this holiday falls on indicates what day the holiday will pop up later in the year, showing 
a very interesting dynamic where the Jewish counting of the lunar calendar, the specificity of it, specificity, thank you, of it, with the quarters of the moment and the, the time that's missing and the times that we add are so specific as to allow days going back millennia to fall on the exact same day each and every year. Now, there was a problem. The Ayn, the letter Ayn, was missing. The, lady, the letter Ayn was Samach Ayn Pei Tzadikhu Frishimdaf. The third day of the week was missing. And he didn't know what to fill it with. And then in one day in 1947, ah. early 1948, 1948 years after the destruction of the temple, a clerk in Great Britain decides that the Union Jack, the British flag, will come down in Palestine on May 15th because of the movement of ships, because of how he was able oh, to... Oh, I never knew that. That's very interesting. Okay. It had nothing to do with any decision, no rabbis, not Ben-Gurion, nobody made that decision. The decision was made by a clerk based on his shipping schedules, and the Union Jack went down. And then the Jews had to decide, are we putting up a flag? Are we creating a state? Are we not creating a state? And that is a whole story in its own right. That's a yeah. whole story in its own right. Uh, that Ayn, that May 15th, falls out every single year on the correct day according to this Atbash biblical code that was found about 1,100 years ago. And we were able to fill in the question that this gentleman had as to why was that left open? So in the DNA of creation, in the DNA of the biblical DNA of the dates, the calendars, the hours, the movement of the moon was pre- uh, Preordained. The creation of the Jewish state and the celebration of the creation of the Jewish state on that day, Hey B.E.R., in 1948, in Tavshin and that forevermore, that day will be celebrated together with all of the biblical holidays and the post-biblical holidays that had already been created. Um, so in, in the alphabet, in the, in the alphabet, in the movement of the moon, was creation of the state of Israel on that date. Oh, that, that's and, extraordinary. And to, miss it, to miss it and to not acknowledge the messaging coming in is to not acknowledge a miracle. Well, that, so that's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that. And, okay, and but I have course, to interrupt one more second. Yeah. Because there's another piece. Okay. 19 years later, yes. the uh, Israeli army is challenged and decides to launch a preemptive strike against Egypt. Correct. And two days later, they uh, secure the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Right. This is the Six-Day uh, War. Many people, many people disagreed with the decision. It's controversial to this day. But if we look at that same Atbash code, we see that Yom Shichrur Yerushalayim, the day Jerusalem, the, the words that were chosen by secular 
non-biblical Jews, uh, if there is such a thing, um, to to name this day, to name this holiday, falls in exactly the same way into the Shin together with Shavuot, the receipt of the um, the reception of of the of the Torah of the Bible at Sinai falls on the same day as the return of the Jewish people. We expect it to be the ultimate return of the Jewish people to the Temple Mount. Uh, fall on the same day every single year, same day of the week, and yeah. falls into that original Atbash code. Extraordinary. So, so, so I, I I disagree with what you said that these are are modern. And that you can't find it, uh, you can't find it in the DNA of creation. So okay, so so thank you for that. That's extraordinary. Um, it th- that begs people pausing and re-listening to, because of what you've just unpacked for us. But I want to bring it back to what we just went through this week, um, the, in terms of the memorial day that's real personal the roller coaster the roller coaster it's, it's a it's a roller coaster but in in depicting the calendar as you did the interplay between passover 3500 years ago redemption from egypt to then the holocaust uh, memorial day and then the memorial day of the of, of soldiers and terror victims and the celebration of independence the whole way you laid it out it's a roller coaster but it's also an interplay of biblical and modern things and you've now just enlightened us as to how not just that they're related related prophetically but they were in fact as you said in the dna but now i want to come back to this week why is it that this week what that when you said when you sent the video out um uh last week about yom hashoah holocaust memorial day you say i only do this twice a year and the second time was this week well, you have two. You have two completely different uh, emotions that take place within the nation during these two days. Holocaust Memorial Day is more about murder, yeah. death, heaviness. the The nation is is heavy. The nation is tired. The nation is sad. The nation feels uh, oppressed. Um. It's the price of not having our independence. It's the price of not being in our homeland. It's the ultimate price that we paid as a nation uh, for two thousand years of of, right. uh, of being um, uh, in exile. Pig- yes, pigheaded and not not doing what we needed to do and come back. Okay. Uh, a week later, the Memorial Day for the soldiers. Unlike Memorial Day in the United States, is not about sales. Correct. Uh, it is a true Memorial Day. The entire nation comes to a halt. We try as hard as we can to stop arguing, which for Jews is very difficult. Especially this uh, year. We try. We try. We try. We're not very successful at it, but we try. Many, many, many millions of people put aside their their differences and 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 hug and cry and. But it's with a sense of pride. Yes. It's with a flag, not at half mast. It's at a flag at full mast. Excellent. Standing Excellent. with our shoulders broad. We walked into a battle of return. Every one of the men and women that gave their life, gave their life willingly, gave their life for a cause. 
Well, the soldiers, not terror to... victims. Well, uh, again, that's a very deep philosophical question. If you look at the most recent uh, victim, uh, the most recent person who lost the dearest, his nearest and dearest, his his wife and his two daughters. He's not taking it as victimhood. He's not taking it no, as last he's not. Choice. He's not. He is presenting the best foot, the best biblical foot we can. We don't understand God's choices. It's not for us. I'm sorry, I'm preaching, but but it's not for us to make those decisions. It's not for us to decide what is white as what is wrong. He made a decision with his family to live here. He made a decision together with his family, a choice to go on vacation. He did not choose to lose them. They did not choose to die. But they chose to be in a place where in any other event, if it was a car accident, it would be sad and it would be horrible. But there's a purpose served. Purpose, okay. And and he is he is he's leading a charge to change that that um, that feeling of fair enough. Fair enough. I feel the same way. I felt that way my whole life. That um, we are here. People don't like it. That's their problem. Uh, and we have to do what we have to do, even if it means getting uh, getting pricked and bleeding once in a while. Yeah. Uh, but it's done with a tremendous amount of you don't like it we'll do it more you don't like okay. it okay we're going to be more stubborn about being here okay. it doesn't make us less stubborn it makes us more stubborn today. more resolved more committed Much yeah more committed. Let, let, let's take another quick break i want to come back and pick up that point but also to talk about if you're willing your personal experiences but let's take one one last break before we begin to wrap it up do you have children or know somebody who does if the answer is yes you need to hear this. This year, in celebration of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has launched an incredible art contest for your children and Christian children all around the world. The contest, What Israel Means to Me, gives your children the opportunity to show why Israel is special to them through art. They can draw, paint, color, or illustrate this in any way they want. The contest will be judged according to different age groups with real prizes awarded to the winners. Please visit whatisraelmeanstome.com for details, contest rules, and how to register your child. Deadline for submission of all entries is in April, and the announcement of winners will be at a live event on May 14th. Please don't delay in registering your child, and please share this with others who will also want their children to participate. Visit whatisraelmeanstome.com and join us today. Okay, Mike, I, I, I like everything you're saying in terms of um, the, the sad reality that these are losses that, um, as I think I wrote in a different context recently, um, it's the price of our freedom. Uh, and, and that's perhaps one of the reasons why Memorial Day and Independence Day are inseparably linked. I mean, they're, they're linked by... By a second. There's, By a, a, second. there's a blink that takes place, and we turn from, we take the same tears. Yeah. They're coming out. It's the same exact tear because it can't, there's no separation between the two. And the tear of memory and the tear of the sacrifice uh, uh, immediately turns into the tear of, of celebration, which is, right. which is, which is what happened in the temple. 
it's exactly what happened in the temple. When it, there's no difference between that 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 drop of blood that makes one person holy and the next person uh, profane. One person right. becomes that same piece of that same drop of blood wow. uh, uh, can can have both both impacts, and and the Jewish people understand that, and therefore we cannot have our Independence Day. We cannot celebrate our day without first stopping, saluting, crying over, thanking, uh, uh, praying for those who made it possible. And it was set up like that purposefully as compared to, as you said, in the U.S., and I don't know how other countries observe Memorial Day, but Memorial Day is just an extended weekend. And therefore, inevitably, you're, it, it's almost like it, it's a Labor Day. It's just another day off where now people, by design... Are getting away from the from from the pace of reality, and that's why beginning on uh, Thursday and Friday Memorial Day weekend, people will actually wish you a happy Memorial Day. Uh, and 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 it sails, and it's the beginning of the summer season. But here, it's not like that. Here, it's not like that at all. Can you talk about you you, you again with, with my hats off and with my envy that you had the privilege of wearing a uniform and serving? Uh, in the IDF and in a, and in a really intense unit, um, I assume you lost friends. Yeah, well, there's no one in this country who doesn't have PTSD. Okay, uh, everybody in this country has lost someone. When I was in high school, uh, there was a young man who who lost his life in in in, in war. The principal decided it was important for us to go to this particular funeral. And when I showed up, it was uh, my next door neighbor's uh, fiance. Uh, it, it's impossible to to live in Israel and not have. It's a very small country. Uh, everybody's related, uh, and everybody knows somebody uh, in our neighborhood. I don't think you could find a family that doesn't have um, a family member or a friend who uh, sacrificed their life for 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 our being here. So uh, my particular case uh, is, is not a not a not a big significant one. It's just um, it's personal. Uh, several soldiers who uh, who were doing their job and didn't come back, and they were my responsibility and my men, and even though they were older than me, and um, they're still twenty one years old, and uh, I'm creeping up on sixty. Yeah, uh, I have kids; they don't. Yeah, uh, I went to their fa- their their parents' funerals. They didn't. Um, so it's 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 very personal. And uh, you go to the fu- you go to the cemetery year after year, and year after year there are less people there. And um, slowly, the older generations disappear. And we used to get together almost the whole unit. Uh, we were a very small unit. We used to get together at one of the houses every year on Memorial Day. And then on the day that they were they were they were killed, but get together, um, have a pizza, share stories, talk about the kids, uh, take those same tears, and again, mush them around a little bit between sadness and pride, uh, and then that slowly goes away, and and now there are a bunch of old men uh, with gray hair standing there, some of them with their kids, some of them with their grandchildren. Yeah. And um, uh, it's it's thirty it was nineteen eighty five, so it's it's thirty seven years. Um, and uh, they actually 
these two particular gentlemen that I'm talking about, young men that I'm talking about, would now be in their 60s, and they uh, they were um, they were serving Israel and the United States at that particular moment. What does that uh, mean? I, I don't want to go into it. We don't have okay. enough time, but they were on a project that um, they were serving both flags at that particular moment. Okay. And uh, so it becomes even more personal. Not only was I responsible for them, but uh, I also represented both nations that they were uh, they were serving at that moment. Was it a some sort of joint operation? Let's not go there now. One okay. day maybe we'll talk about it. Fine, we'll have a glass of wine. Um, okay. Indian wine. I'm 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 down for that. Last night I had a nice glass from the uh, Gosetzion Winery. Uh, so so yes, absolutely. Um, so, so before I, I want to, I want to wrap up talking about what you and I have been doing in our careers much of the last decades, but I also, before doing so, help for someone who's not Jewish to understand this week or the season, why, why it's so sacred to us. You, you, you use the phrase DNA that the count, that the, the, the calendar is in is in the DNA, but why are these dates and observances so sacred to us as a people in our DNA? Well, they're the secret to our existence. Um, the secret to our existence. So many eons later, when uh, I'm sure most of the people that listen to your podcast can list all the nations that don't exist, or a lot of the nations that have come and passed. Uh, since Abraham, uh, whether it's the Greeks and the Romans and the and the Egyptians and the Mamluks and and the, the whole list of people that that came to this land and tried to oppress God's people and uh, ended up in the dustbin of history. Uh, this week represents um, represents all of that. Uh, we are a nation of storytellers. Uh, we are commanded. By God, in the Passover story, tell your children on this day, this story. We then go through Sinai, and every stop of the way, we're told, tell this story. We read every week. We are given a text. We are the first nation to be given an actual text. And every day, every year, for the last 4,000 years, we have read this text. We have read these stories. Whoever reads the story from the beginning sees that it's a story. One day, God came, and he started to create the heavens and the earth, and then this family came along, and one guy was on a boat, and he saved his family. And after that, uh, they spread up to the four corners of the earth, and these were their names. We are a nation of storytellers. We sit for a day every week. No electronics, no travel, no movement. We tell stories. We read books. We read our books to our kids. We tell our yeah. stories to our kids. We sit at the we sit at the table and tell stories. What are we supposed to do on the day of we the day we celebrate the the uh, the exit the exodus from Egypt? It's all storytelling. Yeah. We read our Megillah, our scrolls. 
Our scrolls are not preaching. Our scrolls are all stories. Yeah. They're stories of the past. They're stories of the present. They're stories that look into the future. If we yeah. read, uh, and then we, we, we arrive in the modern day. And the modern day, again, we have a story that we have to tell. So we each tell our story. We tell our story to each other. Yeah. It's all about the storytelling. This week is sacred because you have that combination of Sinai, uh, sacrifice against our will, mm. sacrifice with our will, and complete redemption yeah. all happen in a very short period of time. And there are many, many, many more. Obviously, we, we, we anyone who has ever met uh, been in a Jewish home knows that there are bookcases and bookcases and bookcases and libraries full of uh, um, alliteration and expansion on what we've just discussed over the course of 60 minutes. Sure. Uh, you take two Jews and put them down for this discussion. And uh, other than drinking and having to relieve yourself, they can go on forever. Yeah. Stories do not end. One story enters, another story enters, another story. That is the secret of the Jewish existence. Keeping with God's story, making sure that God is present in the story, together with the family, doing everything together, humans and God, hand in hand, moving forward, not understanding why. Nowhere does this explain why. Correct. Nowhere do we learn why. Correct. And one of the reasons we don't talk about the future so much is we just don't know and the existence the jewish existence the difference we're talking mostly to christians now the vast majority the vast depth of difference between christianity and judaism christianity lives in a world of knowledge judaism lives in a consistent existence of lack uh, we just don't know sure. we do it for faith we do it because that's our our, our way that's what we were commanded. This is what we believe, but we just don't know. We don't know why. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know who. Yeah, I love. I, I I love how you tied that together on many many different levels. Um, I, I want to come back as we wrap up, relating to our Christian friends, but also you gave me a vision that for something that I never considered before. But when you talk about in the Passover story, not only we're 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 a nation of storytellers. But we also share the story from generation to generation. I just realized that that this Passover, I had the my my all my entire family was here, and my oldest grandson was the age that I was when my grandfather died. And but I remember the Passover Seder with my grandfather. And and what a profound thing that now it's two generations beyond, and I've got two generations coming, and he's just the first of my grandchildren for many, many more generations. And in 50 years or more from now, he'll, God willing, be in the same situation. And, you, and, and it's important also how you wrapped in our Christian friends um, to, to explain. So I want to wrap up with that, Mike. Um, you've, I think you've been doing this much longer than I, um, certainly 
one of the leaders and somebody to whom I've always looked up and respected. Before I want to I want to do a self, shameless plug and talk about the art contest, but before we do that, how did you get into it? It's not an intuitive thing that Jews that Orthodox Jews should be caring about, much less actively engaging and developing friendships and dialogue with with Christians. How did that come to pass? Well, again, we don't ask why, but God put it upon me to do this. Uh, it's a long a long history, starting when I was a little boy. My father, we were in Toronto, Canada, and somebody called my father from the children's television and said, we need somebody to come and explain why you guys wear that beanie on your head and what the strings are and what's this thing about Jerusalem. It was post-1967, and Christian world was uh, uh, all uh, 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 uproar about the Jews returning to Israel, the Jews returning to Jerusalem. What's good uproar, good uproar. Why? Uh, yeah, well, good, bad, depending on which church you were going to. All right. And uh, and um, these these shows, which, you know, as I got older, I understood were, were um, strong American missionary programs uh, to teach good citizenship and, and, and good Christian values uh, uh, without pressing Christianity as a, as, as a, as a religion. Um, so my father said, sure, I'll come. And I said, and, and they said, no, 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 we need a kid. Oh. So as a little boy, watching my dad, you copy Amazing. your father. So I find myself on Romper Room and Uncle Bobby and, wow. uh, and uh, uh, Captain Kangaroo uh, explaining why my head is covered and why I have fringes and uh, why Jerusalem is important to us. Uh, same age as my mom was when she escaped, uh, when she had a temper tantrum, four and a half, five years old. Wow. And uh, I would, uh, the man came over to me in the in the supermarket and um, uh, I'll make a, a leap of faith, an assumption that most of your listeners are over 50. Uh, and uh, anyone over 50 will remember that um, they used to wear uh kids in, in college used to wear beanies with propellers and, uh, <laughs> a, a guy comes over to me in america the, the 1960s and a man comes over and says uh, <laughs> uh yo kid you lost your propeller <laughs> and Never i turned around that. and apparently i i gave him an entire speech on what a what a yarmulke was and why we were wearing it um so yeah it was natural i come directly from the uh, family of Aaron, the high priest, through his son Elazar and uh, probably Phineas Pinchas, uh, and they were responsible for teaching. Uh, so it is, yes, it is in the DNA, and uh, uh, there are plenty of people that teach Jews, and uh, my spirit uh, sent me to um, go explain us to those who are not us. Um, it's also easier because they don't argue. Uh, even if they disagree with you, they'll sit there politely and listen, uh, shake their head, be upset, but they're not going to start fighting and arguing with you. Uh, Jews, you get into a room, it's immediately a fight. It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. I agree. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm not fighting. Yeah, yeah so I, I um, very young, and then when... Menachem Begin was prime minister. 
Uh, I had some dealings uh, with Christian friends through that. And uh, then as a teenager, uh, on airplanes, flying back and forth, wearing a kippah and uh, fringes out out of your pants, uh, brings upon itself questions. Yes, and and in later years, as I get older, and I speak to business people and and doctors and people who are going to conferences, um, the fact that the, every, we all experience the same experiences, I just felt, uh, or God put upon me to feel, uh, Jews are much more arrogant. We say I felt. Our Christian friends uh, say it much better. It's that God put upon me, or God uh, moved my soul to do, and yes. uh, we we're saying the same thing. We just. Jews say it much more arrogantly. Um, so God put upon my soul to 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 make friends and and um, listen and and discuss. And it wasn't always pleasant. It's not always pleasant. Uh, um, but for the most part, uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and uh, about ten years ago, somebody said somebody introduced me as the the uh, Torah observant Jew with the most Christian hours on him. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Well, well so all, all of that, and again, that could, that could and should be. Um, and in fact, you've just given me an interesting idea for another, another dialogue, um, an, a, a deeper conversation. Um, some weeks ago I reached out and for me it was intuitive and for you it was intuitive. We're, we're, we have this uh, fabulous art contest what Israel means to me for Christian children from five to 17 all over the world, depicting artistically what Israel means to them. And it's going really well. I reached out to ask you if you wanted to be a judge. Um, we've got a great panel of Jews and Christians, some with artistic background, some without artistic background, some with stronger biblical backgrounds, some with less strong biblical backgrounds. And, and obviously you said yes immediately but i'd love to hear from you why why with your history and with your experiences why that's an important thing for us to be doing offering christian children the opportunity to depict what israel means to them oh it's fantastic it's the best way to uh personalize uh something that is uh otherwise very esoteric very much out there in the in the in the spiritual world uh by allowing uh, artistic expression uh, in any form, uh, and then uh, making it kids like contests, but uh, allowing an, uh, artistic expression of any form is is uh, is a form of storytelling. Oh, and therefore, they will tell their story their way, um, and uh, it's used in therapy. Yeah, it's used in investigation. It's used uh, in 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 so many different ways. Uh, art, uh, art, and children go together. And uh, if you want them to remember a message, you either have to tell them a story over and over and over and over again, or you have to give them an opportunity to express it on their own. And uh, they'll always remember that picture for the rest of their life, no matter whether they. Uh, uh, I. I know I remember all my pictures because they all look the same. It's one <laughs> line down the middle, with two lines on the bottom, and a circle. I mean, that's about it. I, I, that's about my artistic capability. But uh, I, my art is using my words. Uh, now, many people will believe that God will put upon the children 
the vision that they should have, uh, that they should express. Um, one of the churches that I, uh, I've been very close with for many years created an entire museum out of the artwork that they uh, created on this topic. Wow. Um, uh, it is, it's, it's a very powerful medium. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you. You've, you, you've given me new insight on why it's important. I knew it was, and I'm glad that you're on board and can't wait to see all the art and, and you and, and a number of others have the challenge of evaluating which, who are the winners. It'll be really fabulous. Good luck to everybody. Good luck to everybody. Um, Dr. Mike Cohen, uh, a long overdue, but no less tremendous pleasure to have you join us, not just today, but this week to kind of give insight and uh, 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 from a Jewish DNA perspective, as you've done, and also on a personal perspective. Um, I, I always look forward to hearing from you. I don't hear from you often, but when I do, I know it's important. And that's why it was important for me to have you as a guest today. So thank you for joining Inspiration from Zion. My pleasure. Um, as, we, as we wrap up, uh, people know who've been following Inspiration from Zion know that for almost a year and a half, we've been doing a fabulous incentive, offering a gift at the end of every episode. Each month, we offer a special volume. It's called From Jonathan's Bookshelf. This month, we're giving away a copy of Bubby's Story. It's actually a book that we published, the Genesis 123 Foundation, about a 99-year-old Holocaust survivor who's turning 100 next month. And we had the privilege of telling her story. We're going to give away a hard copy as a free gift to somebody this month. Uh, but also anyone who e emails us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and just asks for a uh, electronic copy, we will send you one of those as well for free. All you need to do to win a copy or receive a copy of Bubby's story is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. And when you comment and share the link to this page, to this program, rather, we will give one uh, one person uh, a copy at random. We're grateful, as always, that this podcast is sponsored by the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and want to thank people for uh, thank them for helping make conversations like this possible, please do so. And also thanks to our friends, the Coin family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining to help make, uh, make programs and conversations like this possible with your own donation. This episode is sponsored um, in memory of all of the more than 24,000 soldiers and terror victims who have lost their lives um, during and in and in conjunction with the creation of the state, um, as Mike just said, um, willingly and, and, and as part of the sacrifice that we make of living here. If you'd like to sponsor an episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. As always, we'd love to hear your comments and questions as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism or our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. 
wherever you are in the world, I send my blessings that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.